Well, we had a great week this week with World Lead, and we're going to hear right at the end, we're going to see some things as we close after I'm done about that. But thank you all who participated in World Lead. And as you know, we've been announcing for the last few months that we're taking a trip to Israel. That occurs tomorrow morning. And so we would ask that you would pray for us. Elizabeth and I leave this afternoon to get there a little ahead and be ready when they come. So it starts on Tuesday. So it's two weeks. There's 30 going. We'd ask that you would pray for those 30 who go. You don't know them by name. Maybe a few of you do, that you would pray that their lives would be changed and that they would see the things that God wants to show them in the land where it all happened. And so we'll be there for two weeks. And then... Another team is going to Dubai two weeks from now, two weeks from today, actually, for a week. So the 30 come back. Another team, and Elizabeth and I are going to Dubai. Dubai is in the United Arab Emirates in the Gulf states at the bottom of, the, of Saudi Arabia. It's an area, it's a Muslim area, but they are open to allow Christians to be there, which is great. And so there's an assembly of about 1,000 believers coming from Africa, the Middle East, the Balkan states and the South Asia, that's India, Pakistan, and those areas coming together to talk about Jesus and how they can bring Jesus into their cities. And they've asked us to do city lead and participate with those people in those cities and show them some ways to do city lead and bring Jesus into the business place in those cities. So our team's gonna do that for a couple of days that week and then there's a big convocation at the end and we'll be back the following Sunday. So it's pretty exciting. Matthew McDaniel will be, pre will be speaking the next two weeks and then Francois will be speaking on that third Sunday, so through those weeks. And then on March 12th, just to let you know, we're gonna have a church meeting and we're going to vote on two new elders. One is Matthew McDaniel, who you've been hearing. We would like him to become an elder of the church. He's an elder, small e. We wanna make him an elder, a big e, so he can be a part of the ruling, part of our group. So thank you, Matthew. And then also Ian Ross, who many of you know who's been a part of our school and a part of our church over a dozen years. Janet's a part of our world lead team. And so you'll see a video on them in a week or two. They're gonna do a video. So if you don't know them, you'll learn about them. But on March 12th, if you're a member of the church, we're gonna vote on two new elders, Matthew McDaniel and Ian Ross as well. So thank you for praying for Elizabeth and me and the Israel group and then the Dubai group. That's all you got to remember, Israel and Dubai, and just God will do the rest. Will you do that for us? If you will, raise your hand. I need to know. Thank you, because we need to know. We, you know, Elizabeth and I are always praying for you. Thank you for praying for us as well. It's a mutual understanding, and we appreciate that so much. Well, today we're going to... Um, open the word in a different way because, you know, we're doing two things this winter and spring. We're working in the Gospel of Mark, and then we're also working on discipling. And what does it really mean to be a disciple and understanding the whole concept of discipling? We call that church lead. And over the last couple of uh, years, we've been doing it in small groups. And what we've been doing this year is doing it in all the groups. So once a month, I preach on one aspect of this, and then if you're in a group sometime during the month of February, you're gonna go deeper in this, then we'll do it in April or in March and then April and May. So what is this about? It's about developing disciples, and we believe that disciples help make leaders. Now, we use the word leader and disciple, excuse me, 
interchangeably because when you're a leader in the church and you're a leader in a group, you are really a disciple of Jesus Christ and you're helping disciple others. The verse we use is Ephesians chapter four, verse 12, and I've talked on this, but I just wanna bring it back to our attention. It says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we try to do here. That's what we are endeavoring to do. And the more of us that do it, the more that will happen, not just here, we're not trying to make this church, Boca Raton Community Church, the biggest church in Boca. I don't even care about that. We will never be the biggest church in Boca, probably. There are bigger ones around us, and that's good because we love all the churches that are here. But it's about building up the body so that we can go out of the church building and do what needs to be done because we could have 20, 30, 40, 50 new churches, and we still have not enough people to do what needs to be done. There's a lot of work that needs to be done here. So what is a disciple? What actually is a disciple? A disciple is a wholly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that word devoted a little later, but what is a disciple? There are five areas that we are working on over these months. The first area is that a disciple loves and shares Jesus. I talked about this last month, and if you were in a group, Francois also talked about it, that if you're a disciple, down at the core, bottom line, you love Jesus and you share Jesus. So it's not just about loving Jesus, it's also about sharing Jesus. The second area which we're gonna talk about today is about living out your calling. And that's what we're gonna talk about in just a moment, so I'll leave that. The third area is growing in your character. The fact that we have character and we're growing in that, and we're gonna look at that in March as well, and then the whole month of March, the groups will be discussing that. The fourth area is about community, that we come together and we live in community. One of the things about um, COVID that has bothered me the most, now that we're out of it, I'm glad we're out of it, but while we were in it, we had this concept that just being together electronically was good enough. And I really believe in the embodiment of believers that there is a sense of coming together, that you can do things together that you can't do separated. Now, if you have to be online because of health and distance, I totally get it, obviously, and we're glad we can do that. But if you can be here, being here is better than not being here because there's a sense of what you're doing. And can I tell you what happens? You don't know this, but when you come forward, there are dozens of people praying for you. Dozens in the room praying for you. I know this because they tell me. Things happen in this room that don't happen outside this room. Now, you online don't see that because all you see is what's going on up here, but a lot of times people are coming forward, people are doing things, people are standing, people are praying, and the people around are praying for those people. You are being cared for even with people that don't even know who you are. And then the people that do know who you are, there's fellowship and community and other things as well. We'll talk about that a little later. Then the final one, the fifth one we'll do in May, is using your gifts. God has given us gifts. We've all received gifts. We'll talk about that, so I'll leave that today. But today we're gonna to talk about the very important thing of living out your calling. Now what is Christian calling? It's very simple. 
Can I just give it to you? There's a caller. There's someone who's called. There is a statement, a calling, if you want to do that. And then there's a response. There's a caller who is God. He calls, that's us. He does something in the call, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And then there's a response back up. It's simple. When I get on the phone, I call you. You either answer or you don't answer. If you answer, I make a statement. And then you respond to that statement. That's what calling is. There's nothing really mystical about this. Please understand, we talk about Christian calling and the call of God on someone's life, and I'll talk about the particulars of it in a moment. It's simply that. God calls us, we're the called, he's the caller, we hear his statements, we hear what he wants to do, and we respond to it. That's what we were doing when we were singing. That was what I was saying. I was calling you to come to Christ, right? I'm the speaker of Christ right now, and I was calling you to come to Christ. I wasn't calling you to come to the church. I wasn't calling you to come to me. I was calling you to come to Christ. And that's what calling is. Now, there are two distortions of calling, Christian calling. Can I give them to you? Two big distortions, and all of us have been a part of understanding this. You may have even believed some of this. Number one, there's a distortion that there's a dualistic walk with Christ. Dual, you know, dual means two, right? that there's two ways you walk with Christ. Some people walk with Christ this way, and some people walk with Christ this way. This came out of the fourth century. It's been around for over 1,600 years, and it's a lie. And yet, every one of us have been affected. Let me use the words they used the word. The two words were the perfect life and the permitted life. Now, the perfect life were the pastors, the clerics, way back the nuns and the monastics and the people in the convent and all that, they lived the perfect life. They were called by God. Then everyone else lived what was permitted. It wasn't bad, but you were the farmers, the workers, the craftsmen, the guild, the shop owners, etc. Even the princes and the kings were under, they lived a permitted life while the called ones live the perfect life. Not that they were perfect, no one was saying they were perfect, like without sin, but that they lived this perfect life. Let me give you a couple of words around it that you have heard. The sacred and the secular. Upper story, these people deal with things of God. Lower story, these people deal with things of earth. The spiritual, the physical, the called, the not called. And here's what's interesting where it really got goofy. The celibate, because you married Christ, and the married people. And marriage was downgraded during this concept because marriage was permitted, but it wasn't the best thing. Well, that's nowhere in the Bible, but that's what they would say. So there's this dualism. And then, this is really interesting too, the literate and the illiterate. So the only way to get to God, if you were this, you were mostly illiterate, so you had to go to the literate who read the Bible to get the words from God. This is why even up to this generation, 
Some churches still do uh, their services in Latin. Latin's been a dead language for 1,800 years. And I was with a, a person the other day who said she grew up in uh, services that were in Latin. Well, when they're in Latin, what does that mean? I can speak Latin. I can't. I know a few words, but let's say I could speak Latin, and I'm speaking. I'm not speaking. I, you're just listening. So what would happen is people would watch church, or if I could use the old-fashioned word, they would watch mass. They would come to church to watch the called people interact with God. And what they did was give their tithes and their offerings to these people who would be paid to do God's work. Do you see that? And you go, oh, well, I don't believe that. Well, yes, you do. What do we do? In August, we have all the teachers stand. I can't remember the last time I had every plumber stand or every accountant stand or every doctor stand or every electrician stand or yes, every lawyer stand. <laughs> Do you? Oh no, let's, let's pray for our world lead partners because they're doing God's work. That's, we accidentally segregate people. And it's a distortion, and we're gonna look at the fact that these people are called, these people are called. And I can tell you there's people in these jobs who are not called, and there's people in these who are not called either. The fact that you are a cleric or a clergy versus a cler you know, clerical work is just a particular. Now there's this, well, just let me repeat it. There is no dualism with Christ. We are all one. You just need to understand we're all one. Please never, 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 never think that I am better than you. Please. Or anyone who is, uh, has a reverend in front of their name or they lead in front of people. We have certain responsibilities, absolutely. Our responsibilities we'll talk about in a little bit, but we are not better. It's not a better and worse. Or as my friend used to say, we get paid to be good and you're good for nothing, right? No, we all need to be good because we have been called by God, right? Now, number two, so that's distortion number one. But there's another distortion that yanked out of this which is also just as insidious and that is work became or has become more important than devotion to God. Now, so if I could never be called over here, I work, 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 so this must be what I have devotion to. So what's interesting is, just the other day, on Thursday at City Lead, I was talking about this, and I was using secular terms. I wasn't talking about the call of God because there was about uh, 300 non-believers in the room and I'm trying to relate this concept to them. And so I wasn't talking about clergy and celibacy and all this, but here nuns are married to God and a lady came to me afterwards and she said, you know, I'm married to my work. I'm married to my work. What does that mean? She's devoted to her work. Now we need to understand there's two key words around work. 
I mean, there's one that are being mixed up. There's vocation. What does vocation mean? Vocation comes from the word vocal. What does vocal mean? I speak, I call you, so that's good. You are called to your work. Vocation, that's what the word means. We are called to our work. But we have switched it to mean we are devoted to our work. Our devotion, and devotion means that, um, that connection with the spiritual, right? We become connected spiritually to our work when we should be connected spiritually to God. You see, we are called to God, we are called to do our work, but our devotion comes to God, not to our work. Our work is very important. We spend, and you've heard me say this if you're a part of City Lead. In fact, I want you to do it now. We'll just stop for a moment. I want you to write down the number 47. Can you do it? Write it down. Put it in your phone. Write down 47. It's not on the notes. I'm digressing. Write down 47. You got it down? Then put times, you know the X, 47, times 47. 47, 47, 47. You got that down? What does that mean? Most people work at least 47 hours a week for 47 weeks a year for 47 years in their life. That's 103,000 hours. You are working at something other than going to church, working with your family, living your personal life. You are working for yourself or someone else for 103, and some of you work 55, 60 hours a week, and you work 50 years, weeks a year, and you work for 55 years. You just add the math. It's enormous. There has to be meaning in this, and there's incredible meaning in work. But please never confuse work with your devotion to God. Cameron's gonna be talking about this because we get confused with the what. What I do with whose I am. You are not your work. You are a child of God. And we're gonna talk about this in the groups, so those of you who are in the groups, we're gonna deal with this. Now, how do you describe God's calling? Okay, that's, these are the distortions. Distortion number one, distortion number two. But what is, and how do you describe God's calling? Can I give it in two? I'm gonna give you two ways of describing it, then I'm gonna give you three examples of it. And you've heard me say that if you've been around me a lot, this is a theme that I deal with all the time because I think it's a theme that most believers don't get. And I want us at Boca Raton Community Church to get it. Number one, the primary call So this means that every single person who is a believer in Jesus Christ has been called the identical way. Now there may be a different particular on where you were called and even some particulars on the how, but it's the same. I asked this question many times and when I was younger, I'd ask this question and a lot of hands would go up. Can I ask, and I'll ask this and I bet you there's not five people, but. The greatest evangelist who has lived in the last 100 years was Billy Graham, right? How many of you came to Christ in a Billy Graham event? Raise your hand. Anybody? One, and there's two, because I know him. 
Two, my life was changed at a Billy Graham event when I was very young. You know, back years ago, there'd be dozens, your parents, your grandparents, all. It doesn't matter how you came. Was it at a big event, like a stadium event, which we don't do anymore? Was it by yourself? Was it with a mother? Was it with a friend? Was it just the Holy Spirit talking to you? All the particulars are different, but this is what's important. Our primary call is to him, by him, and for him. Remember, I always bring up a two by four so you can remember it. To God, by God, for God. To Christ, by Christ, for Christ. It's the audience of one. We need to realize that our calling is to the audience of one. And who is the one? God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Please understand that. Here's the amazing thing that we don't get. These singers who are just up here, you could say, if you believe the first thing that I talked about, the first distortion, you would say they are there to worship for us. They are there, if I could say, to put on something. And when you walk out, you're gonna go, you know, they weren't just as good as they were last week, or they were better than they were last week. It's like, is this a show? No, we try to do our best but they are the prompters. They're not the show. They're the prompters to get you and me to worship the audience. See, you think you're the audience. Can I tell you, you are not the audience. You are the actors. And you are acting in front of an audience, and it's the audience of one. There's only one audience here. It's God. And if you ever think that we're up here acting On your behalf, the answer is no. We are here to prompt you to act in front of God. Do you see that? That's the primary call. So all of us are the same. The little second grader who comes to Jesus, who can't even say a four-syllable word like propitiation or any of these huge redemption or whatever, these large words, they can't even say it. They are called by God. Those of us who get all these big words and understand these huge concepts, we are called, we're the same. We're identical because we are called to the audience of one. I hope you see that. And anyone who comes to me, and I get this all the time, I just don't know as much as you do. Well, who cares? Who cares? I hang around people that know so much more than me. And you know, I wanna learn from them. I wanna grow with them as I want you to grow with me. But please understand, your relationship to God does not matter how much you know, it's who you know. It's who you know. My grandson does not know me very well, but you know what, he's my flesh and blood. He'll get to know me more as we age together, God willing. Does that make sense? So everyone in this room is the same. We're all identical if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're online, you're identical with us. But there's a second part to this, which is, And the the word primary and secondary is not in the Bible, please, but the concepts are there. The second, secondary, it's not a second calling, please understand. I'm not a believer in second callings. It's secondary, and that is everyone who believes everywhere and in everything should think, speak, live, and act entirely for Christ. In other words, it's what you do. And that's where we're all different because, as we're going to learn down the road, we've all been gifted differently. People go, oh, I just couldn't do anything with a microphone in my hand, or I can't do what your wife does, and 
I go, who cares? You're not called to that. God has gifted each of us to do different things. We're called the same to the audience of one, but when it comes to this, the horizontal, for him, to him, by him, for him, the for him is that each of us have a different calling. And you've gotta figure that out. What is your calling before God? What has he gifted you to do? What does he want you to do? Because we need to act that out. Remember, you're the actors to the audience of one. You're acting out what God has gifted you to act out. We as pastors and group leaders, we are here to assist you. Basically, we are prompters in the old sense of the word when they used to have prompters in the front and when somebody would forget their lines, they would shout them out. Now we have all these electronic things and we've got teleprompters and big things. I can just look here and read it if I forget what I'm about to say. But God has called us to do something for him. Do you know what that is? Do you? Shake your head. Do you know what it is? If you don't, we're here to help you. I'm not here to condemn you. Oh, you don't know what it is. I'm here to go, let's find it out. That's why when you see, meet Carl at the end, his whole team is here to help us find out what our gifts are so that you can use your gifts. Now, many of you come to this church, you know your gifts. You come to this church, you don't know your gifts. You're in this church, you do, you don't. We're here to help. Now, let's look at three passages of Scripture. And we're gonna look at one occupation. Can we do it? Let's just look at one job. So we're, I'm going to take it with one job and three responses in calling. Can we do that? So it's one job. So we're over here and we could take any job, you know, that lawyer, that realtor, that teacher, whatever, but we got to do it out of the Bible. So we're going to take tax collector, okay? The most hated job back in those days were the tax collectors. So let's start in Mark chapter two, verse 14. Can we do that? If I can find it. This is the one we talked about the, a couple of weeks ago. This is Levi. Some believe his name was Matthew also. Not important here. I mentioned it last week, but I wanna mention it today in calling, in calling. Verse 13. And we'll get to 14. And Jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax booth. Here he is, a, a, an accountant, a clerk, a tax collector. Remember, they were collecting taxes for tariffs, for the movement of goods, not internal revenue service taxes. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi rose and followed him. So response number one, Levi was in a job and Jesus said, follow me. And he followed him. He came a believer in Jesus Christ and he said, get up and follow me. Physically, follow me. I want you to be one of my disciples, one of my apostles, one of the 12, one of the ones that are gonna tell the story to everybody else. So he called Levi out of his tax collecting into what I'll call, if I could, and this is a bad word, full-time ministry. 
It's a bad word. We're all in full-time ministry. Some are paid, some aren't. But into leaving the 103,000 hours a year, a lifetime job and coming over and following him. That's number one. Now, turn to Luke chapter 19. If you don't have your Bibles, you can listen. Luke chapter 19, verse one. Jesus is about 90 miles south of where he was at the Sea of Galilee. He's at Jericho now, which is at the Dead Sea, which is another crossroads heading south. And just to remind you, just to kind of get the feeling, there weren't a lot of roads back then, major roads. So these major roads, these cities and these leaders would set up these tax booths and very much like an interstate. So you have one interstate and then there were on-ramps. So at Jericho, the on-ramp to the main road heading south toward Africa or the main road heading north towards Asia or Europe, or what was now called Asia and Europe, was at Jericho. So you come down to Jerusalem, you go down to Jericho and you head south to Africa with your goods or you head north towards Persia and Asia or the other way towards Europe. And so they set up tax booths there. I mean, what a perfect place to get money from people. Okay, and here we are. And so Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector of the area and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Here's the amazing thing. The whole thing of Zacchaeus, if you grew up in the church, is all about his height. And who really cares how tall he is? He was a short man. Who cares? But that's all we know about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. I learned that when I was a wee little boy. You miss the whole point if you think of his stature. And he was seeking to see Jesus, to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't. So he ran ahead, climbed up on a tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. What you don't know here and what we find out kind of through history is, excuse me, Zacchaeus became a believer in Jesus. He became a believer. He's a tax collector, a chief tax collector in a very illicit business because they could charge whatever they want. And when they saw it, the people grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest with this man who is a sinner because they thought Jesus should only be with, can I use the quote, uh, the called people? You know, he should only be with the good people. See, that distortion even pre-existed the fourth century. It was a distortion. Zacchaeus was over in this camp. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, after he got to his house, behold, Lord, that's interesting. He didn't call him Jesus, he called him Lord. Now, some would say, well, that's just a sign of respect. I think it's a sign of understanding who he was. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, now that if isn't like, I don't know if I have, the if is since, since I have defrauded people. It's the word since, not 
the maybe word, it's the I have done it. I have defrauded anyone of anything. I shall restore it fourfold. So when those caravans come back from Africa to come through to have to pay a tax now on the new goods that they've bought from Africa that they want to sell to the north, he's going to go, oh my goodness, I defrauded you four months ago when you were here. I'm going to pay you back fourfold. And oh my goodness, I remember you guys, and I defrauded you, and I'm going to pay you back fourfold. What does that mean? Have you ever thought of it, what it means? He stayed in his tax collecting. So here you have Levi, who was called out of tax collecting to become a pastor, an apostle. Zacchaeus was called to stay in it, and Zacchaeus knew exactly what he had to do because he knew he was a thief. When you come to Jesus, thieves, you know it. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house. And what does it say in verse 10? This is great. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. And he didn't come to seek and to save those who were lost to make them become pastors. He came to save their soul. And it's a particular whether they become a pastor, a nun, a, you know, a teacher, whatever, or they stay in their business. And he had Zacchaeus stay in his business. Zacchaeus was a key a believer in the Jericho community, and he stayed in the business. So you got Levi leaving the business. You have Zacchaeus staying in the business. Now, there's a third group, which you may not know. Go to Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, uh, Jesus is doing some things. It's a different time of his ministry. And to be honest, I can't tell you exactly where he is in his, you know, what geographic he's in, but go to verse 12. It says, tax collectors also came to be baptized. Oh, wow, another group of tax collectors. They're unnamed. We don't know them. It's not Levi. It's not Zacchaeus. They're unnamed. They're tax collectors who have become believers, and they want to be baptized. And they really don't know what to do in terms of their work. And they say, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Is that amazing? Be an ethical and honest business person. Stay in your business and be ethical and honest because there are very few ethical and honest tax collectors and you will stand out. Let me just pause. All of you who are not in this group, like I am in this group now, but you're in this group, you have an incredible testimony wherever you work, wherever you teach, wherever you plumb, wherever you do medical, whatever your job is, you have a testimony because if you do it with ethics and character inside, people are gonna say, what is different with you than with everybody else? Now, if you're new to Boca and you're not in business, some of you are retired and some of you are visiting, Boca historically has been one of the most unethical business places on the planet, in the United States, let's say. Think of all the big business problems. Think of WorldCom. 
Think of Tycho. These are, if you're not in business, you don't know, but all these people lived in Boca. They all went to jail. Um, Bernie Madoff. He did his deeds here in Boca and West Palm, Palm Beach Island. Um, I'm not even naming them all. I'm, uh, the penny stock crisis of 25 years ago here in Boca. And I have friends in Fort Lauderdale that go, how, when I was working, how can you work in Boca? It's so unethical. People try not to get a pool company or a roofer from Boca. They want to get them from Broward and bring them up to Boca. You don't know this because the ethics in Boca. So here's the thing. We started City Lead called Boca Lead 10 years ago because we wanted to raise the bar of ethics in the city. And you know what? It's raising. This city is no longer known as an unethical city. Oh, there are unethical people everywhere. But it's people like you that act ethically in your business dealings. And here's the other thing. Are you a consumer? Act ethically and pay your bills. Are you a business person? Act ethically, act ethically as well. You see, you are followers of Jesus Christ. He's called you to him, by him, to do something. And one of the things you all need to do and I need to do is act ethically in our business transactions. And that's what he told this tax collector. So sometimes you get moved into full-time ministry. Sometimes you know right away that you've been unethical and you need to pay back things like Zacchaeus. And sometimes you don't know what to do. And so you need to ask and go, what do I need to do in my business to make it a better place to work and to have people understand? And Christ will tell you what you need to do. That's the beautiful thing about calling. Because God has called every one of us. Now the question is, what do we do with the call? We have been called, the statements have been made to us through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through the still small voice, even through other people connecting with you and with me, and what is the response? You have to respond to the call. So let me close. I shared this at uh, City Lead, so if there were a few of you that were at City Lead, I closed with this. We had all our partners there, and it was fun, and so Elizabeth and I have traveled all over the world, and a few years ago, I, we were in India. I was, actually, she wasn't with me that trip. I was in India in the city of Delhi. Delhi is a city that was made by the old Delhi by the British 150 years ago, and it's it's centered with a huge a traffic circle, and then it has these roads that spoke out. Even on the, um, sorry, on the Indian flag, it's a spoke. The Indian flag in the middle is, is a spoke and a wheel. They love these wheels, and so the city's huge. So if you go down a road, you get to the big traffic circle, and the circle's about a mile around. It's not a little one like we have here in Boca Raton. It's enormous. So we were staying right next to City Hall at a hotel, and it was, a conference was going to start, and it was early in the morning. I'm jet-lagged, so I'm up early, so I thought I'll take a walk. And I thought, I don't want to get lost, so I'll walk down to the circle, go down to another road, and walk another spoke, come back, walk down another spoke, I won't get lost because I can count the spokes and realize how many spokes it takes to get back. So I'm pretty smart with distances and all, but I was having a great time. I had nothing on me. I just gym shorts and, you know, a t-shirt and I'm walking along and I realized I got to be back in like 10 minutes. 
and I, and I look and I see City Hall and I realize I am a long way away. So I decide instead of walking down the spoke to the circle, walking over a couple spokes and walking back, that I would cut through the neighborhoods. Now that is a bad idea. Just let me tell you, this was not a good idea. So I start walking through the neighborhood because I'm following, looking at the big, tall city halls, like 30 stories, and we're right next door. So if I find City Hall, I'll be there. And I'm seeing City Hall, and I'm walking towards City Hall, and I end up on Embassy Row, which was great. I'm in a safe neighborhood. I'll be fine. It's early in the morning, no cars. And I'm walking. All of a sudden, all these embassies, of course, are all fenced in, right? And they're all guards at the front of them, and they're all standing there, and they're waving at me, and we're the only ones. I'm in the middle of the road. It's a tree-lined road. And all of a sudden, I hear this. Da, 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 da. It's a stick going across the fence, not guns, but it was a stick going da, 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 da. And I look and I realized that there were monkeys inside one of these consulates, and the guy was trying to get them out of the consulate and onto the road. And I'm the only one on the road. <laughs> now, these are Asian monkeys, not chimpanzees. They're about this big, and they have those long tails. And all of a sudden, there are hundreds of monkeys coming at me. <laughs> No, this is true. And they're coming up the trees and they're over me. I could smell them. I could feel them. Their tails were wrapping my leg. And I'm smart enough to know that monkeys carry rabies. And I'm also smart enough to know that you never get between a mother monkey and her children, baby monkeys, or you will be in real trouble. I'm thinking, I can't even see them. There's so many. They're going back and forth and screaming and yelling and whatever. I thought, what am I going to do? And I decided the only thing I could do was look forward. And I looked down to the end of the street. It's a building that was at the end of the street. And I thought, I'm just going to take a cadence and I'm going to walk it. And I'm going to let these monkeys pass by me. It was the most amazing thing. These monkeys are touching me and brushing me. And I, had, I didn't even have like a can, I had nothing, not a backpack to swat them or anything. I could not control the monkeys. And I had nothing to stop the monkeys. And I decided to look ahead. And I walked and walked and feeling them, smelling them. They were over my head, the tails hitting my head. But ever slowly, I heard the noise less and less, and it was behind me. And they just stayed where they were, having their morning, whatever they were doing. And I moved forward towards that mark. And when I got down towards the mark, another guard at another consulate looked at me and just kind of smiled. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> What's the point of this? You gotta focus on something. You can focus on the monkeys in your life or you can focus on Jesus Christ. The choice is yours. And can I tell you, you can't control the monkeys. Once, if I had a backpack and started hitting the monkeys, I would have been in bad shape. Instead, I focused straight ahead. God is calling us to focus on his son, Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of monkeys at our feet. I can smell them. I can feel them. And you can too. And every so often we get past them. And every so often one comes. It's not always we're in the monkeys. 
But understand this, you can wallow in the monkeys and all you're gonna get is rabies. Or you can look to Jesus Christ. Oh, it won't be easy, it's tough. But God has called us to look to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.